I want to speak tonight generally about renewal because our gathering this weekend is called a renewal conference. Our ministry is called a renewal ministry. And I've been involved in renewal for so many years. Renewal, what do we mean, what do we mean by that? Because this word has been tossed around sometimes very carelessly, meaninglessly. And for me, this subject is not of academic interest. It's nothing I look at from a distance, but I'm involved in it. I've lived renewal for 29 years. I, have ste I stepped out in faith in 1968 because something was moving in my heart, a restlessness. I wasn't satisfied with what? With myself to begin with. There was something missing in my life. And then, as I looked around in the church that I was serving, I saw something was missing in the church I was serving. The two came together. But I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it. But it uh, stirred my heart. I was restless. I was not really um, contented. I was not contented in my relationship with the Lord. I knew there was more I, that God had for me. I was trying to find my place in the church. I was trying to find my place in the sight of God, in my relationship with God. What did God want from me? Just to settle, settle uh, to be, uh, to being another, just another priest, in doing my married weddings, in funerals, in baptisms. Is that why God called me? There was something more in me that I wanted to do. Amen. So that's why uh, the Lord led me step by step. It it was uh, gradual. It was gradual. And the Lord came and met that need in a very dramatic way in my life. Uh, I was a very uh, hardcore Orthodox, very legalistic. Very structured in my ways. And I had no use for anybody that wasn't Orthodox. I mean, for me, uh, Orthodoxy was everything, the beginning and the end. And yet, my relationship with Christ was not what it should be. Even though I had three degrees after my name, I was a professor of theology. I was an authority in theology. I was lecturer. You know, I had a good name. I wrote many, many impressive articles. So uh, this always bothered me. I believed that the Orthodox Church was the true church, but I could not. I, I couldn't. Uh, uh, I couldn't reconcile the fact that it was the true church and yet somehow I was restless inside. I always believed and I still believe that the Orthodox Church is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I'm intellectually convinced, historically convinced, because of the historic uh, credentials of our church. And I believe still that uh, the church our Orthodox Church has the true faith, the purity of the faith. And that's why it's called Orthodox. What does Orthodox mean? True faith, true believing. So the emphasis in our church is on what? Sound 
doctrine. Sound doctrine. Is this important? Some people say, oh, doctrine isn't important. It's your, your, your commitment to Christ. Doctrine, forget about that. You know, that's, there's a lot of that going around today in the various churches. Amen? But there's a, that's very, very dangerous when we start talking like that. Because then we can undermine the very foundations of the gospel when we take that attitude. So the Orthodox Church was always very, very sensitive to soundness of doctrine. From way back, from earliest centuries, and probably especially since the time of the first ecumenical council, when the church was trying to define who Jesus was in relationship to the Father. Is Jesus a God or is he just some divine person? And yet, how can we keep the oneness of God if Jesus is God? And so, uh, then there was the heresy of Arianism. And oh, I, I can't begin to list now the heresies. The heresies, long list of them that threatened the very foundations of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, we take the gospel today for granted. Our Protestant brethren take it for granted. But you know, the church had to work hard for 100 years to secure that gospel, what it is today. That Jesus is very God of very God. Amen? And then when the Orthodox Church split with the Roman Catholic Church, why did they split? Over what? Soundness of doctrine. What does soundness of doctrine mean? Me correct doctrine. Faithfulness to the word of God. Faithfulness to the word of God. That's what it is, soundness of doctrine. So um, the church separated from Ro the church of Rome. Why? Over one doctrine. Who is the head of the church? Is it Christ or is it the Bishop of Rome? Do you blame the Orthodox Church for splitting? How would you like today to be under the Pope of Rome and consider him as the, as the head of the church? So thank God for the Orthodox Church. And it, and it was three, four hundred years later when Martin Luther revolted against the Pope and started the Lutheran Church. But 400 years earlier, we were already protested. In one sense, we're the first Protestants. <laughs> Do you know that? Uh, is this sound the volume all right? So, uh, so I don't have any problem with that. I'm proud to call myself Orthodox. And when you look around, you see how many ideas are going around. New Age movement and, and uh, the liberalism. All the big denominations now are denying everything. The Lutheran Church, the Methodists, United Methodists, the Presbyterians. And on and on and on. I mean, they're denying the virgin birth. They're denying the atoning death of Christ on the cross. Denying the divinity of Christ. Everything goes, I mean, you can do anything you want. There are no more absolutes, moral absolutes anymore. It, you just do whatever you want. If it feel good, feels good, do it. You know, that kind of attitude. But so 
uh, I'm glad that we're orthodox, but at the same time, uh, we also have a problem, don't we? So renewal, uh, renewal is not something new, my beloved. And I, I just want to go over a little bit of um, a little bit of history of renewal. Um, also, I want to mention that we're not a Reformation church because we didn't need a re any kind of a Reformation in our theology, in our doctrine. But um, what I wanted to mention is that the church, very, very early, faced the need for renewal. Very, very uh, early. I mean, it's nothing, you know, recent. Renewal movements are not something recent, but they go back very early. In fact, uh, why do we need, why did the church, why did the church ever need renewal in the course of its history? Why? Because it compromised the gospel. Amen? And also, what did Jesus say? You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its savor, to what is it useful? Except to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot by men. So the salt of the earth is the church, is the body of Christ, the community of believers. But this aggregate of believers can lose its salt. By what? What causes the salt to lose its savor? The disobedience of the people of God. The rebellion against God causes the salt to lose its savor. So in the course of the church's history, this is what's, what happened. It happened very early. If you go back to the book of the Revelation, I don't want to go into the details tonight, but you see there what happened that God calls to repentance, the seven churches of the apocalypse. And you know what year that was? Very early, around 100 A.D. The church was beginning to slip. And God came and, and, and directed this message, for example, the church of Ephesus. You have lost your first love. Aficis dimbrotin suakapin. That early that far back. Think of it. And this was written down by John the Apostle. The Apostle was still living and yet the church was beginning to slip. And what else does did God say to the churches back then? He, he, he spoke to the church of Laodicea, for example, and he said, uh, Repent because thou art neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or you were cold. But because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. So what do we call that condition of the church? Spiritual lukewarmness. And God hates lukewarmness. And especially today, in our day. So... Uh, then after the, that period, of course, the church went through persecutions. 
many persecutions, and the persecutions helped to purify and purge the church, the body of Christ. Amen? The blood of the martyrs, bishops, priests, deacons were shedding their blood for 300 years in the cause of Christ. So the church was very strong spiritually during those 300 years. Very strong. I mean, you, if you were a Christian, you went all the way with Christ. I mean, you'd have to be ready to lay down your life for your Savior. Period. You died for Christ. You didn't, even, you didn't live only for him, but you died for him. And then after the, the fourth century, we come to 325, like let's say, and Emperor Constantine is the first emperor who stops the persecutions. God touched his life. And of course, as a believer, finally, he was a, he was a Christian believer, he caused the persecutions to stop. But when the persecutions stopped, then the church began to uh, decline spiritually because things were getting, what, easier now. So the Saul was losing its savor. The emperor was a Christian. Those in the government uh, positions took, uh, espoused Christianity, and it became something like the religion of the government, of the state, of society, okay? There was nothing wrong with that because it was always an established fact in early times that there was only one religion in every empire, whether it's Babylonian, Egyptian, Greek, Roman, whatever. It was unthinkable to have, what, two or three religions in society. So the moment Constantine became a Christian, he knew that he knew, that it's either paganism or Christianity. And he picked on Christianity. And Emperor Theodosius later, he finished the work of Constantine and went as far as to destroy the pagan temples, etc., etc. I don't have time to get into that tonight. But because of the decline, spiritual decline, the world, the spirit of the world was going, coming into the church. The flesh was coming into the church. And people could not find what they wanted, a, a close relationship with God in the urban churches back then, as far back as the fourth century. So there was a need for renewal. And what was the renewal movement back then in the fourth century, the fifth century, and sixth century? What do we call that renewal movement? You've heard of it, but we don't think of it as a renewal movement. That, that, was, that was what we know as monasticism, monahikos, vios, we, we call it in Greek. That was the time when people would withdraw from the city and they would go out and be alone in some uh, desert place maybe, some remote area where they could be alone with Jesus. They, wanted to find, they couldn't find him in the urban churches. So if you think we've got problems today, <laughs> that's how bad the church was back then, I'll tell you. You know, you wonder how God, like God could put up with us that far back. So the monastic system was the renewal movement. The first, if you want to call it charismatic renewal, whatever you want to call it. Amen? These men and women were seeking God. They couldn't find him in their, in their home churches. And don't we find that true today? Why are we here tonight? 
Why are we here this weekend? For the same reason. What are we doing? What are we doing here? We are withdrawing from our home churches. And we're withdrawing to a place where we could what? Find a, relation, a deeper relationship with our Savior. Now, monasticism grew and flourished. Monastic communities flourished. But then, guess what happened? Then monasticism itself needed renewal. <laughs> you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, he revolted against the Roman Catholic Church. Wonderful, I mean. He had pristine, pure visions then, pure vision to restore the true church, to restore the, the gospel. Okay, Martin Luther was a great, great man of God. You know, I, I admire him. And uh, Calvin, uh, John Calvin and John Knox, all those great reformers of the 15th and 16th century. Amen? They, they, they started the Lutheran church. They started the Methodist church, uh, Charles Wesley, uh, Presbyterian church. All those Reformation churches, I mean, they were vibrant, spiritually vibrant. Now, I mean, they are not only dead, but they are subversive of the gospel. They deny the very precious blood that Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary. And they, they, they throw out, they, they cast out all the absolute morals in the Bible. So now they need renewal. See what I'm trying to say? Sometimes a renewal movement needs renewal. So as a result, monasticism needed renewal. And there was one man, and guess who his name was, who initiated a renewal movement back in the turn of the first millennium. His name is none other than our patron saint. What's his name? Saint Simeon, the new theologian. Here was a young man. I don't want to get into his biography. That's for October when we observe his anniversary feast. But here was a young man in this huge city of the big hub, you know, the big city, the big apple. Like uh, people go to New York from, from some prairie state, you know, from a little farm village. They want excitement. Well, he didn't go for excitement, but his relatives sent him there to make something of himself. And he turned to the things of God and ended up uh, espousing monasticism. See, that was the only thing you could do. You know, you couldn't go to church on Sunday. You couldn't find the Lord. I mean, that, that, that's a pretty bad commentary of things back in the 11th century. Amen? During Byzantine times, that was during the uh, peak of the Byzantine uh, civilization, too. Of course, there was a lot of religion, but it was mostly external, structured. There wasn't any evangelism, apparently. And this sensitive soul, he came into the monastery and he, he cleaved unto his spiritual father to draw inspiration, which he did. And, and he turned out to be a, a great man of God. And finally, he ended up being appointed an abbot in this monastery. And he rolled up his sleeves and he started from scratch to make something out of it. It was a run-down monastery, both Physically speaking, run down, and spiritually speaking, this monastery was just in uh, tatters. 
And he built it up and made a little kingdom of heaven in there. But he suffered for this. Because he was not satisfied. His heart was restless. Could not stand the compromise. The sin that was existing in the monasteries. The immorality in the monasteries. He could not, his heart was revolting against this. And without getting into this, his life and work, uh, he did write and he preached. He preached. And what he did, what was his method of renewal? By restoring the ministry of the word. I'm going to be talking about that tomorrow too. The Aquania Tulong. He restored it. What, he did something no, one, no other abbot would do. He started preaching every morning. Substantial messages to the monks. He did this morning, noon, and night. He preached. They, didn't, they weren't accustomed to this. This was not the practice in monasteries, and still to this day. You don't hear much preaching in monasteries. Everything is just prayer and worship and, you know, routine worship. And, and so these monks were, were not very comfortable with this. And you know the story from previous conferences, we've talked about St. Simeon. They revolted against him, they threatened to stone him, they threatened uh, his, with him physically. It's a long story, but all I want to say tonight is that he stands out as a champion of renewal, okay, and of spiritual reform. Is there any wonder why we have him as, as, our, as our patron saint? But he's not a, simply a historic figure that belongs back in the end of the first millennium, but he left writings, gems, golden nuggets that now we are reading today. After 1,000 years, they're coming to light. And we're reading them now. So he's an inspiration for renewal. And what his message is, that orthodoxy should be the orthodoxy of the Holy Spirit. It should be an empirical orthodoxy, an experiential one, one that we live. And it must be one that transforms our lives. To make a long story short. Amen? Praise the Lord. So this is really the... And then after, of course, after St. Simeon, just to... Have, give you a brief survey, historical, very, very brief. We have the, the fall of Constantinople. Things got really bad then. I mean, if you thought things were bad before 1453. <laughs> I mean, there was light then. I mean, it was, everything was brilliant. I mean, there was darkness for 400 years. I mean, uh, if there was any spiritual life, I mean, you, <laughs> you could hardly find it under... Uh, except for one man, Cosmasia Tolos, in the 1700s, who left his monastic comfort in Mount Athos and, and toured the countryside to uh, evangelize the Greeks and spare them from converting to Islam. And he was finally hung on the tree, uh, slandered to the sultan that he was undermining the Turkish government. So they, he martyred for Christ's sake. And we honor him today but even the Greeks didn't want him then. There's stories how, how the, some bishops refused to have him come and preach in their, in their churches. So uh, we are the enemies of our own 
church. You know, many times we could say that. And then, uh, uh, then at, at when the the when Greece was liberated, right after the liberation of Greece, uh, there was one uh, one wonderful man of God by the name of Papulakos. Uh, there's a book recently put out by him by Costis Bastias in Greece. He was a priest, a very humble man, unschooled, but was filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And he traveled from uh, village to village uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he also had a restlessness in him. And he he attacked all the uh, the evils of the, of the day right after the, the uh, liberation of Greece. He even attacked uh, uh, government officials for co trying to corrupt Greece, for trying to bring in Western ideas and undermine the spiritual foundations of Greece. Uh, he was against what the, the new uh, king of Greece, who was the new king of Greece after the liberation, Otto, the Bavarian, and he attacked their whole pa palace in the court as being strangers and in introducing novel and subversive ideas into, into the pure, pure society of Greece. Wonderful man of pure vision, this man. Saintly man of God. And they persecuted him. The Greeks persecuted his own countrymen. And he ended up being imprisoned. He was sent to prison for one year, the government uh, and the church co collaborated to condemn him. And, and in, in his advanced age, he was in his late 70s, he was thrown into prison like a common criminal. And then finally, after one year, he was exiled in the uh, island of Andros, where he died there. Going on now with the story of renewal. We come uh, uh, subsequently to a man called Apostolos Makrakis, who died in 1906. Uh, he also was a great man of God, a visionary, pure spirit, fired with the Holy, spirit, Holy Ghost. He was spirit-filled, fired for, for, had fire in his heart for Christ. And he also traveled the, the countryside of Greece, from village to village, from uh, province to province, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and preaching repentance to the Greeks and telling them that they will never re restore their land to their, its former glory until they come back to Christ on their knees and until they're born again and re regenerated. He, stre he stressed rebirth and regeneration. And uh, he wrote many, many books that are, I mean... Uh, or unsurpassed in wisdom and depth. He was a genius, this man. He got into every conceivable uh, field that you can imagine. Uh, we heard a little earlier about uh, uh, Professor Helen Otto, and Dr. Mike said that how she's involved in so many fields. Well, maybe this is part of the Greek genius. You know, Greeks like to, to have a comprehensive uh, view of of the universe and of reality. You don't like to be compartmentalized. Uh, and Makrakis was in government, he was in uh, philosophy, theology, you name it, in logic. He wrote a book of, on logic, Christian logic, imagine. 
psychology. He made Christ truly preeminent in all things. In everything, Christ was relevant, and he was the authority. There wasn't any sphere of human existence where Jesus Christ was not the truth. Science, the arts, whatever. If Jesus is the truth, then he must be relevant. He made Christ relevant in every area of human knowledge and human experience. Fantastic man. In fact, he inspired me, and I'll tell you frankly, if I came closer to the Lord later, it was because of Apostles Makrakis. He made me understand Jesus Christ as a central authority in everything. Comprehensive authority uh, in every area of human life, in human pursuit. As no one else has done, and yet this man also went the way of all prophets. He was persecuted. His little school that he opened, Squiritulogu, in Athens, was closed down by the police, the government. Uh, he was uh, slandered and by the church authorities. And he ended up in prison, too. He ran for parliament, and they laughed at him because his platform was seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. That was his political platform. Imagine uh, Dole going out and today talking like that. I mean, wouldn't they laugh at him? And yet no one could be more serious than Makakis was. He was trying to tell his fellow Greeks why we are so stupid. We've got a God of the universe here. We're a small nation. We don't need navies or armies, he said. We've got the armies of heaven. And we can lick every last... Turk that's on the face of this globe. But they, uh, Satan did not allow this. Satan's kingdom was, was, was threatened. So he was uh, discredited, ended up in an island, banished. Thank God for the, for the islands in the Greece. You know, those islands really come in handy. Very useful islands. At least they got fresh air uh, wherever they were banished. Praise God, hallelujah, glory to God. And uh, McCracken said three very prominent uh, disciples. One disciple by the name of Efsevios, my namesake, and Matthiopoulos was his last name, uh, somewhat followed in his footsteps, and he started the renewal movement called Zoe Movement. Started in 1917. This man, was a very righteous man, godly man. It is said that one day he was walking down the street in somebody, it was a residential area, and someone from a window spit at him. And he looked at the spit him, you know, on his raso, and he says, I deserve this. I'm just an unworthy, wretched Servant of God, Imanaxios, That's how humble he was. If it was somebody else, he'd cuss him out. He was such a self-effacing man. Hear that? Think of it. And that's why God honored this man, and up to this day, his renewal movement still operates in Greece. 
and they introduced the Bible to all the country. They published Bibles as never before, and they initiated, instituted the Sunday school system, in Greece, that no bishop could even conceive of. But they're even fighting the Catechetica in Greece even to this day. And the men that have come out of the Zoraim movement, I mean, are precious men of God. I met many of them. You could tell a priest that belongs to the Zoraim Brotherhood, they call a brotherhood, you could, you, can, you know that he's a brother from the Brotherhood of Zoraim a mile away. They just radiate with purity these men of God, and they never want to be elevated to the bishopric. They have this, they, they make a vow. And they'll remain priests, humble servants of God, precious men of God, and they, they're one of the biggest, if not the biggest, printing plants in Athens, Greece today. They have a seven-story building in the middle of Athens because they give up their, of their substance for, this, for the renewal movement. So this is uh, roughly... Uh, historical uh, survey uh, and then uh, we come up a little more recently and I want to speak to you speaking about renewal uh, in um, in Romania there was a very significant re renewal movement uh, initiated by this priest Joseph Trifa was his name, priest, Romanian Orthodox priest, very evangelical-minded. He was born in 1888, and I think he died in 1938, I believe, 1938. And he started a work of evangelism in the Romanian Orthodox Church, but he too was persecuted, and finally was uh, defrocked. He was defrocked from the priesthood and uh, he and they but when they buried when they prepared his funeral they put on his priestly vestments and when the bishop heard this he gave instructions immediately that they remove the priestly vestments and they took these vestments off of his body imagine what a humiliation. He took, he removed the vestments before the funeral so that he might be buried, you know, just with street clothes. That's how far their malice went. But, and he left many, many followers, many cells, groups, groups of uh, uh, Bible uh, groups, Bible uh, circles all over the country. They were very dedicated to him when he died. He sowed the seed. But when the communists took over, they banned this movement. It was called the Lord's Army. The Lord's Army was the name of this renewal movement. But, thank God, uh, not too many years ago, maybe, what, two years ago, I heard that the official church of Romania, in a synodical meeting, uh, lifted the ban on this uh, saintly man here. They uh, rescinded the ban, the condemnation. And now they allow the Lord's army to flourish. Isn't that wonderful? At least the Romanians did it, but the Greeks still 
uh, persecuting Greece, I'm talking about in Greece especially, they, they continue to persecute those who are in the renewal. And to bring things still further uh, in a contemporary way, uh, this priest here, Father Aristides Palainis, who also died in 1938, he was a pastor here in this country. And he put out a magazine called Fonitz Orthodoxias. He was a tremendous man of God. He pastored several churches. And he died in New Jersey, in Asbury Park. And he died in his 40s. He was a very young man from a heart condition. But this man was so godly, I cannot begin to tell you. I mean, he was also persecuted from church to church. They could not stand him because he was too strict. He was too uncompromising. And he would be sh transferred uh, from here, in, from one church to another church. And in New Jersey, in Asbury Park, he opened a little center and he called it the Golden Rule Community. I remember I was a small boy then. And my father was a priest, knew him. And I remember we went all the way from Detroit in the, I don't know when it was, probably before, it's got to be before 38. Now, we went there just a vacation on the coast there. Uh, we were all five kids in our family. We drove all the way from Detroit to New Jersey. And I'll tell you, back then, <laughs> it wasn't a picnic drive. There were no, no expressways. You know, I'll never forget this man. Little did I realize when I was just a boy in whose presence I was. If I only knew it, I would have kissed his feet, this man. He was such a pure spirit. Oh, how I love those that have come before me. I honor their memories. But I don't want to honor memories. I want to honor those that are still living. I want to honor the living icons. I want to venerate the living icons. How many of you uh, enjoy that much of that survey, historical survey? And then to bring things still further up to date, here is uh, a book that's called Renewal, Spiritual Renewal, put out by the Greek Archdiocese in 1974 at the Clergy Lady Congress, I think it was in Houston, uh, the Congress there came out with some uh, decisions, pronouncements about renewal. Imagine. That was, uh, renewal was getting, to get, was getting popular. I started in 1968, and of course, in 1968, I was also persecuted. By 74, the notion of renewal was getting very popular because my logos was being sent to every single church for several, several years. No longer now, but back then. So the idea of renewal was on everybody's mind, but not everyone did anything about it. And then some people uh, were threatened by the logos movement, ministry out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, and they felt, well, why doesn't, we'll take care of the renewal. We don't need Stefano. 
Why doesn't the official church do it? Well, beautiful, I mean. I'd be the first one to resign from this ministry if the, church, if the official church did it. So, uh, this was done in 1974. It's part of history. You've got to know about it. Uh, the 21st Biannual Clergy Lady Congress of the Archdiocese, which convened in Houston, Texas, 1972, not 74, mandated the establishment of an Archdiocese Commission on Spiritual Renewal. The need for such a commission was born from the growing maturity of our people to seek deeper insights into the teachings and traditions of our Greek Orthodox Church. This mandate was given its impetus through the keynote address of His Eminence, Archbishop Yakovos, who stated, it is now time for each parish to turn its attention to the need for spiritual organization, for reordering its life as a spiritual entity. Our concept of the parish must be understood within the framework of a deep and abiding Christian consciousness. Doesn't that sound good? Woo, I couldn't do better. I couldn't have said it better, although I would have put in the name of Jesus in there someplace. Jesus, who's that? Oh, oh, you mean Christ? Yeah, okay. Well, we know about him. We're going to talk about him all the time. Christian. We like to talk about things that are Christian. But we avoid the name of Jesus. Nothing said anything about our relationship with the Lord. And, I, I mean, everything sounds good. Spiritual renewal can be defined as a conscientious and ongoing effort to find the means whereby God's grace can be activated in our lives through the sacraments, and so on and so forth. My beloved, 1972, you know what happened? All of this was left on paper. It was never implemented. Even though they appointed commissions, and every diocese was supposed to have a renewal committee, and every diocese was supposed to have conferences, renewal conferences, nothing, zero, zero. While I was continuing all those years, I was being persecuted because now, several years later, renewal was becoming uh, a no-no. I'll never forget, at one co conference, I don't remember where it was, Philadelphia, where one bishop, I don't want to mention his name, was fighting the word renewal. He says, no, he says, we've got to think of another word. Renewal, mm, it connotes too many negatives. You know, officials in the church feel threatened by the word renewal. It's like telling them you're not do you haven't done your job. We priests don't like to hear that. So he was, he was thinking about a word like spirituality. Why don't we use that word? Mm, and I'll never forget the negotiations and the deliberations over this thing. I was sitting back and I was saying, Lord, how can you put up with us? <laughs> well, to make a long story short, this is just history. And I have it as a historical document in my shelves under a pile of books. I found it the other day. I said, gee, I'll share this with the conference. Just for a little history. So, my beloved, what is renewal then? Well... Renewal is uh, our relationship with Christ, and uh, uh, renewal is the very purpose for which uh, Jesus came into the world, isn't it? That's the very reason why Jesus came, is to renew us. 
And what's another word for renewal? It's rebirth. Rebirth. Anagenesis. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why did Jesus come into the world? To change us. To transform us. Not simply to renew us, but to restore us. To restore us back where God intended us to be. In the image and likeness of God. That's, the, that's what renewal really means. Renewal isn't just one event, but it's what? It's a way of life. It's a process. And it's an experience. It's an experience. It's an experience that has certain stages, has its ups and downs. But you know, in the epistle of uh, to, the, to the Romans, uh, Paul talks about the newness of life. Uh, he, he says there in, in chapter 6, he says, Even so, we also should walk in newness of life from the moment we are baptized and we receive Jesus. After we die with Jesus in baptism and rise, we rise in the newness of life. It's a brand new life. What, how else can we call this life? It's a resurrection life, a life of forgiveness, of justification, uh, and of salvation. It's a salvation life. Uh, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So uh, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is life eternal in Jesus Christ our Lord. So every man that comes into the world is a child of wrath. And he remains a child of wrath until God touches his life through Jesus Christ and regenerates him, transforms and makes him into a child of God. And that's the newness of life. So, you know, we have to go back to that expression of St. Paul, newness of life, kenotitisuis in the Greek. Brand new life. But what happens to brand new things sometimes? They get tarnished, they get torn, they get damaged, right? Like children with their toys, when they get toys on Christmas, they don't, toys don't last very long, do they? They get broken. So our newness, the newness of life, that's brand new, sometimes someplace back, back in our past, has a way of losing its freshness and its integrity, and we lose that newness of life. So we need to be renewed over and over and over again. So it's a constant, constant um, process. And I think of the words of St. Paul, to the Corinthians. Here were the Corinthians. There were new Christians, new believers, newly baptized. And uh, what does he call them? He calls them carnal. Sarkiki. He says you're carnal. Why? Because you're factious. You take sides. You're, you're dividing the church up. You're not showing the signs of spiritual what? Newness. 
signs of spiritual maturity. So what did, they, what did the Corinthians need back then? They needed a renewal. How else can we call a renewal? A revival. We need to be revived. How often? Constantly. Constantly revived. Why do we have to be constantly revived? Because constantly Satan is always at work at us, against us. And he's constantly active too. And he wants to drag us down back into his bondage and bring us into a state of disobedience and uh, rebellion. So, uh, the St. Paul says, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become what? New, new. That's right. That's, what, that's what's important, that we become new in Christ. And then St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, I believe we have to, we can renew our life only when we let the Holy Spirit do his work in our lives. God is seeking us to constantly renew us and to keep us in a state of newness, in our baptismal grace. But God cannot work in us unless we allow him, unless we call upon him. God does not force himself on us. Isn't that right? He respects our free will. So we need to uh, exercise our faith and to submit to the Lord constantly from day to day to be renewed every day through our prayer life, amen, through the reading and studying of the scriptures, and what else? And through receiving the blessed sacraments, the Holy Communion, Holy Communion. And what else? And to have fellowship one with another. We cannot, we cannot sustain the newness of our life in Christ unless we are together in a body of believers, inside of a body of believers. And because the newness of life means an experience of relationships, relationships that are vertical and relationships that are horizontal. Newness of life is based on our relationship with Jesus. We need to deepen our communion with him and to know him in the power of his resurrection, to know him in our daily walk with him, and to study his word, and to allow him to do his work of grace in our hearts, in our lives. That's why Paul says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, the only way we can sustain our relationship with God 
is by hearing the word of God. To listen to the word of God and to read the word of God. Blessed are they who hear the word of God, Jesus says. And keep it. Blessed are they that hear the word of God. So there's something about hearing that's very crucial in, our, in the renewal of our life. And what great need that we have in the church today is what? Hearing the word of God. We don't hear the word of God today. That's why we find everything but renewal in the church today. Anything but newness of life. Because people are not hearing the word of God. Amen? Who's going to do that though? Who's going to preach the word of God? Well, we expect the priest to do it all, don't we? If the priest doesn't do it, we complain and and it's not being done, but that's why the Lord is restoring the ministry of the word among the lay people. It's time that we start to step out in faith, men and women, and start ministering the word of God to one another. But especially do we need to uh, study the word of God because Jesus said the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Praise God. So, my beloved, we're here this weekend because we love our church, we love our Savior, and we want to be ready for his return. Uh, we're living in the last days, and it's not just another day, is it? But we're approaching closer and closer to the day of his return. And we need to be sensitive to uh, his requirements, his conditions, the conditions that he has set down for, for our personal salvation. So we're here this weekend, my beloved, that we may come into a more closer relationship with Jesus. Uh, that we might leave from uh, St. Simeon's Renewal Center with our lives touched and our lives changed. Because, my beloved, in 1972, I, that's what I had was what the Lord wants to give everyone, a special experience of his love, 1972. I had a face-to-face, life-changing meeting with Christ that made all the difference in my ministry. And that strengthened me and sustained me and gave me this desire to preach his word and to minister and to carry this cross for 29 years now. 29 and a half. We're approaching the 30th year now. And so, my beloved, I pray in Jesus. I am trusting you, Jesus, this weekend to come through, Lord, and do a work of grace in our hearts, Lord, tonight, this weekend, Lord Jesus. Lord, cleanse our hearts. I'm going to ask you to all stand up. Purify our hearts, Lord. And take away, Lord, every spirit that is not of thee. 
Lord, from our lives, from our hearts, dear Jesus. Do a work of cleansing, of purification, dear Jesus. And Lord, show us uh, what area in our life that needs uh, correction, that needs restoration, that needs your uh, divine touch, dear Jesus. For Lord, we confess to you our sinfulness tonight, Lord. Lord, we want to start off by humbling ourselves before you. And we uh, submit ourselves to you, Jesus. Give us, Lord, a contrite spirit, Jesus. And the anointing of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to put away all other thoughts. Thoughts that would distract us, Lord. And just uh, draw us unto thyself, dear Jesus. Tonight and tomorrow and throughout the whole weekend, Jesus. Draw us like a magnet to yourself, dear Jesus, as we confess our unworthiness to you, Jesus. And Lord, uh, just move mightily in our midst through your Holy Spirit, dear Jesus. May we sense your presence here in this place, Lord. Fill this place, Lord, with your divine presence starting tonight and make yourself real make your presence tangible dear Jesus for Lord we love you tonight but we don't love you enough Lord Lord give us of your Holy Spirit and enable us to desire you evermore Jesus cleanse us of our sins and start with me Lord cleanse me of all unrighteousness as I come into your presence, Lord, and as I offer myself to you, Lord, this weekend, and as I uh, make myself available to you, Jesus, cleanse me first, Lord, of all my sinfulness, of all my wretchedness, dear Jesus, whatever needs to be cleansed in my heart, start with me, Lord Jesus, and make me, Lord, sensitive more sensitive to the anointing of your Holy Spirit, dear Jesus. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and take charge of this conference this weekend. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and make us, Lord, what you want us to be in your image and likeness, Jesus. Speak to our hearts, dear Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because you are Lord and you have risen from the dead. And we believe, Lord, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's all sing that. For you are Lord. You are Lord, you have risen from the dead, and you are Lord, every shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus 